so if you want to, or if you will, go ahead and turn in your Bibles uh, to Matthew chapter 18. That's where we are. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and you would like one, uh, we have Bibles in the back and the corners on tables. Uh, those are for you to take if uh, you want. Uh, if you would like one, uh, we would love to, uh, to gift you uh, a Bible. So uh, if you've been with us, you know that we're currently walking through uh, the Gospel of Matthew uh, as a church. And over the last month or, see, uh, month or two, we've seen a couple of things. One, uh, we've seen uh, opposition towards Jesus ro- uh, rise or increase. The, the religious establishment uh, has began to push back on Jesus, and, and we see uh, opposition increase towards him. And then uh, as a response to this, Jesus is going to begin preparing his disciples for what's to come. Uh, and we, we see that he's been spending a lot of time uh, clarifying any misconceptions that the, that the disciples are, are having about who he is, his identity, uh, and then what he has uh, come to do, uh, his mission or his purpose. Uh, and this week we're entering into the fourth out of five discourses in Matthew. And throughout this discourse, uh, we'll see how Jesus reveals how his identity and mission, what he's been revealing to his disciples, really shapes the kind of community or the people he's calling his disciples to be. Uh, so we'll see, uh, again, in, in this fourth discourse, we're looking specifically at how his identity, Jesus' identity, and his purpose is shaping the identity and purpose of his followers, uh, which he's going to call the church. So uh, in the first part of uh, chapter 18, uh, we're going to see the, the foundation to this gospel community that he's calling his followers to. Uh, and this foundational key to, to uh, community is going to be humility. Uh, and it, it's kind of cool. I like that as Jesus is going, like he's teaching as he's going. It's really a cool picture of discipleship. Uh, as a matter of fact, the disciples and he are just walking a, down a road from uh, Capernaum to uh, Galilee, and the disciples are arguing, you know, amongst themselves. Uh, and this is uh, where we pick up here in chapter 18. So we'll, uh, if you will, we'll read verses. Uh, you can read verses 1 through 14 with me. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus saying, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put, in the midst of them, he put him in the midst of them and said, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin It would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck and to be drowned into the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptations to sin, for it's necessary that temptations come, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. And if your hand or your foot causes you to sin, throw it off, or uh, if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life crippled or lame than with two hands or two feet be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into the hell of fire. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. If you guys will join me in praying. 
Father, I, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the way that your word uh, confronts us. I thank you for the, word, the way that your word, that you work by your spirit uh, to transform us, to sanctify us, to grow us into the image and likeness uh, of your son. Uh, Lord, I just pray that your spirit would be at work this morning uh, in, in my heart as uh, I preach and uh, that you would just uh, speak the words, that you bring about the words from me uh, that would glorify Christ. And I pray that your spirit would work and uh, everybody who's here, uh, that we would be pointed to Jesus uh, that Jesus would be glorified, uh, and Lord, uh, that we would just be transformed and become the people uh, that you've called us to be. We just pray all these things in your name. Amen. So the fourth discourse, it kicks off with this question, right? The disciples, are, are, like I said, they're walking, they're arguing, they're talking about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom. I mean, they've, they've seen Jesus, right, who's just said, hey, I'm the Messiah, which for the Jewish people was a pretty big deal. Jesus was saying, I am the one who's coming to rescue all of humanity. Uh, it, it's, a, it's a pretty big deal, and, 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 he, and we know in the Jewish scripture we see that this Messiah was going to be uh, the one who would uh, reestablish the throne of David and that would reign forever. Uh, and so the disciples, you know, they're thinking about, you know, hey, what does this mean for me? You know, if I get to be close to the guy who's going to be overthrowing uh, the rule and the reign of the Roman Empire and establishing an eternal kingdom, you know, what, what, what does it mean to be the greatest? How could I ascend to this position next to Jesus uh, as the greatest? And so this is kind of what's kicking off their question. Um, now, keep in mind, that, you know, we can be kind of harsh on the disciples, but it's important to remember that the disciples are still learning what it meant to be Jesus' particular type of disciple, uh, because discipleship was really a normal thing. For, for us in our culture, the terminology may be a little bit weird or, or different, but for the Jewish people, the people who are going after Jesus, this would have been very normal. Uh, every single teacher in Jewish culture would have had disciples or people that they were leading uh, or following. Uh, but, but the idea of the disciples was to become the greatest. They, they wanted to be the most dedicated, the most committed, uh, the most serious about what was going on so that they could ascend to the place right next to the leader so that when the leader was gone, they would now be the new teacher. And if, in, in Jewish culture, if you were the teacher, you got lots of respect. You were revered. Uh, you, you were the hero of the story. Uh, you essentially were, were being served. Uh, you, you would kind of uh, move up in, in, in a place uh, to a place of being served. We, we really know from this question, just this first question, they ask him, you know, who, who's going to be the greatest? We, we know that it reveals two things. One, that they really misunderstood who Jesus was and what he came to do. And the second thing it does is it tells us a little bit about the condition of their hearts. Uh, that, again, that probably uh, is from the misunderstanding what Jesus uh, came to do and he's about. So let, let's get into the text. Um, we look at uh, verse 2. He responds to their question and he says, Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you turn and become like children, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, I don't know if you pick up on it, but the disciples didn't ask that question. They didn't say, how do we enter into the kingdom of heaven? They said, who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom? And I think Jesus has kind of taken them back a little bit and saying, whoa, 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 hold on, put cart before the horse, slow down. You don't even get to enter the kingdom of heaven unless you turn and become like one of these children, much less uh, be the greatest. So then he continues and says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. There's a couple of things from the statement that I want us to walk away from uh, or, or walk away with. He, he is calling his disciples to childlike humility, right? 
He says, you, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must turn and become like a child. And unless you humble yourself like this child, you will not be the greatest. And so I was thinking about, you know, what's Jesus actually calling his disciples here? Uh, what's he calling them to here? He's not saying that his disciples should be like kids uh, in every way or that, that they should be uh, childish. Uh, rather, this first statement, he, he's declaring their total dependence. He's saying that in order to turn, and, and, or in order to even enter the kingdom, must one, tur- one must turn away from themselves and become like a child, recognizing their total dependence. Uh, and children are uh, totally dependent. Kelly and I were talking about, you know, what would it look like for Eden to try to... We, Eden's our 18-month old. I always want to say 18-month year old, uh, but uh, that's, not, that's not right. Uh, but... It, She's our 18-month-old, and we were thinking, like, what would Eden do without us? Like, you think about it. Think about an 18-month-old who wakes up. Let's pretend she doesn't have a crib. We know that she can get out of the crib if she wants to. Uh, but let's pretend she just rolls out of bed, and she's like, what am I going to do today? Eat, eat, eat. I don't even, I can't even really think about that. I, I feel like she would go try to, like, cook breakfast on our little PlayStation or not like video games, sorry, or like the little kitchenette thing she has that's fake or pretend. Uh, but she would shortly realize that, that did no good for her, and she would start to look for us. Uh, if you think about it, if you know kids, if you have kids, you know that kids are really uh, totally dependent. Uh, and, and this is the position that Jesus is calling his disciples to. He says, in order to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must realize that you bring nothing to the table. He's telling his disciples that you weren't given this position, you weren't given this status, you weren't given this place because of your effort, your striving, your goodness, your greatness. But you were given this and you're totally dependent on the Father. And so this is what he's calling us to recognize. And this sort of attitude is what actually marks and defines how we operate in community with one another. How we relate to one another as followers of Christ. We have to recognize that we have earned nothing. We have no position. Uh, Anything that we have, we've received as dependence uh, from God the Father. The second thing about childlike humility uh, was... uh, (laughs) Or the second thing that he's calling to is this childlike humility uh, and explains that greatness is this. So children are dependent and then children are really humble. And you know, I was thinking as far as like, what, what sort of things is he talking about? Like, is childlike humility? Um, because in Jewish context or Jewish culture, humility was also, just like discipleship, a pretty normal thing uh, to talk about. Uh, you look through the Old Testament, you look through all the Jewish teachings and writings, and you'll find uh, all sorts of like praise for those who humbled themselves. But typically that humility was given or offered towards people who were ahead of you, people who were more powerful than you, people who had more status or authority or money uh, than you. But the type of childlike humility Jesus is referring to, he's talking about how children relate to other people. Uh, Children relate with people with with social status, with economic status, totally different uh, than adults uh, relate uh, to those things. Uh, Think about yourself, you know, as a little kid. Like you, you, we're talking a little kid. You know, you really have no concept of like social status or wealth or you know who's more powerful than uh, someone else. Uh, I was thinking about uh, as a kid. You know, I always had a dream about like what I would do when I got older. Uh, and, you know, I had friends who were like, hey, we want to be firefighters or army men or we want to be, uh, I don't know what other things kids want to be, but I wanted to be a garbage man. I thought that being a garbage man was like the pinnacle of human existence. You got to ride on the back of a truck all day. 
It was, it was, and talk with your friend. There was, I don't know, in our neighborhood, there was always two guys on the back of a garbage truck. I was like, man, you get to hang out with your friends, hang on and ride onto the back of the truck, which you were never allowed to do. I had, I had no concept as a child that, that I couldn't go make a whole lot of money and be a very powerful person pursuing this sort of career. I didn't have the mindset of, oh, I'm going to go be an engineer, or oh, I'm going to go you know, be a doctor. Uh, even though those things are great things, as a kid, I really wanted to be a garbage man. And that really reveals that as, as kids, there's just a disconnect when it comes to uh, things like power and social status. And this, uh, this next part actually is going to make sense and hopefully tie it a little bit together for you. But Jesus isn't actually talking about children here. He says, whoever enters, uh, the, whoever, if you want to enter the kingdom of heaven, you must turn and become like a child. And that whoever humbles himself like this child will become the greatest uh, or will be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He, he, when he's talking about children here, he's not actually talking about children. Uh, You've got to understand he's training up, he's preparing his disciples for what's to come. Right? And if you think about it, if you know the story where we are, we know that Jesus is about to go to the cross, he's about to be crucified, raised, uh, resurrected, and then he's going to be ascended. And he's preparing his disciples for the type of gospel community that he wants to see played out amongst his followers. And this analogy that he uses, or this metaphor as a child, he's referring to new believers, people who will be coming to faith in Christ uh, afterwards, and he's getting at the disciples and he's saying, hey, you're following after me, but just because you've walked with me doesn't put you in the status to go up here like it would in the typical understanding of discipleship and becoming a teacher, where you then are the one who served, you are the one who, who people place their hope in. And things. He, he's, he's describing to them a model for how they're to interact and relate with this new kingdom or gospel community. He's saying that Really, to be the greatest is to be the least. He's changing their mindset, uh, which really for us, if, if we take it, is really an opposite type of mindset, right? I mean, we think, hey, we're going to get wealthy so we can have a bunch of people do the things that don't matter, right? We're going to get this status so people will look up to us, people will serve us, people will see us as the hero. But Jesus says... You have to become, turn like this little child to even enter the kingdom because you have a total disconnected view of what greatness even is. I, th I think when I was looking at this, I saw, you know, Jesus is really getting after the heart of his disciples. He's getting after, you know, what for them uh, really brings them their status? Where do they find their value and their worth? He's getting after how they view other people and how they find importance or define importance. Uh, and other people. Because you got to think, for the disciples, these guys are all Jewish people, right? I don't know if you know much about the Old Testament. The Jewish people were very proud to be Jewish people. They knew that they were the people of God. They knew that God's blessing uh, was on them. And we know that Jesus is about to open the floodgates to where people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation are going to begin to come in and follow after Jesus. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, whether they're rich or they're poor or they're from Jerusalem or they're from somewhere else, it doesn't matter. Anyone who comes in my name, he goes on in verse 5, you're to welcome them. He's given them a totally different way to look at greatness uh, and position. So let's go on to uh, verse 5. He says, whoever receives one such child, and again, we're not talking about literal children here, right? Jesus is talking about these followers, his followers, his new followers, these children, these people are going to be coming after Jesus. He says, whoever receives one such child, and my name receives me. 
And then verse 6 and 7, he continues that whoever causes one of these little ones to stumble, it would be better for him to have a great millstone fastened around his neck to be drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world for temptation to sin, for it's necessary that temptation comes, but woe to the one by whom the temptation comes. Now, in my mind, I think when I always read this verse, I thought, oh, you know, Jesus is talking about whoever is leading one of these little ones astray with false teaching or bad doctrine. Uh, but that's not really it, because Jesus says, whoever welcomes one of these in my name or whoever receives one of these in my name receives me. And I was reading a, a commentary, and D.A. Carson explains that this stumbling, this falling, uh, falling in their following after Jesus uh, that, that Jesus is talking about right here isn't leading them to fall into, like, uh, again, bad beliefs, though that's dealt with elsewhere. He's talking about if you reject or ignore one of these little ones, you're actually rejecting or ignoring me. He's talking about whatever causes, you know, he, he's saying that in saying that uh, one of the, whatever causes one of these little ones to stumble, you know, woe is him. Um, he's talking about causing them to stumble by ignoring them or rejecting them. Uh, those that the disciples may think because of their position or status are unimportant or unvaluable or, or don't uh, serve their cause. I like uh, Matthew uh, chapter 25. Uh, Jesus illustrates this, this point pretty well. Um, so if you want to, you can turn to Matthew 25. I'm going to let Jesus illustrate this. Uh, we're going to be looking at verses uh, 31 to 46. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in glory and the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my Father, and here at the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? When did we see you thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see your sick in prison and visit you? And the king will answer, Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he'll say to those on his left, Depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. And then they will also answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, or a stranger, or naked, or sick, or in prison, and did not minister to you? Then Jesus will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. This isn't, that's not meant to be some sort of like hellfire preaching. I know it sounds like that, but really what we're seeing here is that God is revealing his heart for the little, for the, for the person who doesn't have power, for the person who's found themselves in a weak position, for the person who to the rest of 
society doesn't really count or really doesn't matter. God is, God is a righteous judge, and he's declaring in, this verse, in, these, in these verses here in Matthew, he, he's, he's saying that these, these are important. You see the same heart uh, in Matthew, back in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 10. He says that, see that you don't despise any of these little ones. Uh, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my father. And then he compares it to a sheep, or compares them to a sheep. He says, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is the will of my Father who is in heaven that none of these should perish. So what, what, is a, what does a heart look like? What does a person look like who, who really recognizes it, that in order to become, enter the kingdom of heaven, they must turn and become like a child? What does it look like for someone to humble themselves like the little child so as to actually become great in the kingdom? Here we see it laid out. It's welcoming those who can't get you ahead. It's welcoming those who can't do anything for you. Welcoming people not because they're wise or they're powerful or they're great, but, uh, but welcoming them because they come uh, in the name of Jesus. See, in order to look down on or reject one of these disciples, the people who come in the name of Jesus who seem unimportant or unvaluable, we have to deny the gospel. It's only when we forget that the only way to inherit the kingdom is to become little ones. Are we able to, uh, are we able to justify our neglect of the little ones? Jesus has called us to a different kind of community. He's called us to a, a gospel community, one that doesn't place uh, all of our energy and efforts in trying to get ahead, but receiving uh, those around us who come in the name of Jesus, welcoming uh, them among us. He calls his disciples to the type of community that's marked by humility and by servanthood, where position and status aren't for self-gain, uh, but as a means uh, to deny uh, the lesser glory of self-exaltation and worth and embrace the greater glory promised to us in Christ. And this doesn't mean that, you know, in receiving we don't deal with people who are in sin or brothers or sisters who are in sin. Next week we're going to look uh, very explicitly at how Jesus talks about how we deal when there's conflict or how we deal with sin. We're not just looking at it and saying, hey, you know, this is a, an open thing. You know, everybody's good, bring them on uh, in. But this is the sort of heart that has to mark gospel community because you can't even go on, you can't go on to dealing with conflict like Jesus will teach us unless we understand that that person that we're going to be in conflict with is just as valuable and just as important as we are. So uh, this is uh, the last point. We're going to look at verses uh, 8 and 9. Uh, here Jesus gives the same sort of language uh, to his disciples about how to deal with this sort of thing. Uh, he, this is the same sort of language that we saw in Matthew 5, if you remember, when Jesus talks about how to deal with uh, lust. Uh, Jesus really isn't calling his disciples to like, start cutting off body parts uh, that cause them to sin. But he, what, what he is doing is he's making it very clear to his disciples that no trace of this can exist or should exist in, his sort of, in, in, in this gospel community. He's, he's calling his disciples to repent. He calls his disciples to cut off, to repent, to turn away from uh, any sort of this false or lesser view of greatness. Uh, this lesser view of greatness that leads to self-righteousness or self-hate uh, and to hear and believe the good news of the gospel. This good news is that Jesus has not only called us 
to live this way, but he has actually lived this way on our behalf. He's not left us to treat other people this way, and he's not just come and given us this direction about how we're to live as gospel community. He definitely wants that. He's definitely after that. But he himself has become uh, the greatest by making himself the least, the servant of all. If you look in, uh, this is the last verse we'll look at. If you look in Philippians uh, chapter 2, Paul gives some good direction here um, and echoes much of what Jesus is saying. Paul writes uh, in verse 3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus has become the servant of all. And I think the real beauty in this passage, like I said, is that this really isn't, I mean, it's definitely a story. It's definitely a direction that he's given, a parable, a teaching that he's given to his disciples. But it really is a picture and an image of who he is, right? Because he is the servant. He is the greatest. He is the one who has become perfectly humble and obedient to the Father, servant to the world, and because of the Father's love for all of these little ones, um, he has become the shepherd. We are in this story are actually the wayward sheep. Uh, and he is the greatest one who's come to serve us and who's become the least. So to come after greatness uh, for us, and, and just real practically, I mean, I, you know, it, I, I know that it's a lot of like just going through the verses and it's like, okay, yeah, Jesus redefines greatness as these different things. But I mean, I want you to consider like, who, who do you look at differently? I mean, there are people that we all look at as less than us whether it's because of their race or because of their socioeconomic status or because of how they act in social situations, each of us truly deal with uh, not loving our brothers, right? In our missional communities, if we're actually having community, you're, you're having to deal with conflict. You're having to deal with problems, people who are different than you. And, and Jesus is saying here, uh, He's teaching us in these last verses how, how we respond to that. How, what is the first thing we do? How do we deal with whenever you get that gut level feeling about uh, the other person or you have that, that, you know what I'm talking about. You know, when, you, when you, somebody walks in the room and you really just don't like that person, you think a lot less of that person and your gut just kind of like turns and you think of really mean things about them. I hope I'm not the only one who thinks that. Uh, but he, he, Jesus tells us, he, he, he gives us a direction here. He calls us to repentance. He calls us to turn and to not just turn and turn away from a behavior and adopt another behavior, because we all know people who have turned in, in trying to be humble, right? They turn away from pride, and then they like want people to notice how humble they are. Nobody? We also know people who've tried to embrace this idea of humility that looks like this like self-hate, and, and neither of those things really reflect uh, what Christ has done for us. He, neither of those things really reflect this masquerading of uh, humility or masquerading of pride, you know, as humility or self-hatred. Neither of these things look like what Paul talks about. 
Jesus didn't go around trying to pretend that he was humble. He really came as servant to all. And he didn't even pretend that it wasn't hard. I don't know. Do you, I mean, you've, you've seen in the Gospels, right? You've read. I was in John a couple weeks ago, and he's, I mean, he's telling his disciples, like, oh my gosh, how long do I have to be with you folks? I mean, he's being real about the challenge that it is, but he has been called by the Father to serve and to, to, uh, to be humble. Paul explains that we have been given the same mind uh, of Christ, that it belongs to us. And so whenever Paul, I mean, whenever Jesus here is calling us to repent, he's calling us to turn uh, really from our false belief, our false view of who God is, and to believe the truth about who God is. So as we kind of enter into a time of response, I, I want you to consider and just ask the Spirit to do a work in your heart and to reveal, like, who is it? Who are, who are the people in your community? Or, or what, what people do you really like kind of keep at a distance because you think that at a core uh, level that they're less valuable and less important in the kingdom uh, as you? And then ask the Spirit to reveal to you uh, the beauty and the truth of the gospel. Uh, that to even enter the kingdom, we have to turn and become like children. And I think that really reminds us, like, we are the wayward sheep. They are the wayward sheep. And then, you know, when people are dealing with issues that, you know, we, we've already dealt with and got past, and, you know, here are these weaker ones, you know, I think as we recognize that we're both wayward sheep and we recognize how Jesus has dealt with us in that, it then informs the way that we deal with them, bearing with them in their weakness, bearing with them in their growing and their maturing. So I ask the Spirit to reveal to you how pride distorts how you see yourself, how pride distorts the way that you see other people, and ask him to reveal to you the good news of Jesus so that it would actually change our hearts and that in our repentance we wouldn't just be trying to get after behavior modification, but in our repentance we would really be getting towards believing the gospel. And we're told in Scripture that you know, if bearing with uh, repentance and faith, we will see fruit. We will see these things that begin to change uh, in the way that we practically do things. So, uh, you know, each week what we do is uh, we, we come up and we take communion. Uh, communion is really one of the most beautiful expressions of this equality or this, this brotherhood that we have. Um, I know that years ago I was doing youth ministry in Lincolnton. And, uh, man, this just tells you how sinful my mind is. But, you know, we're doing communion and I was serving communion one day. And in the back of my mind, this is, a true, this is true now, I'm, I'm almost... I'm, it's embarrassing to even tell you this, but I was, I was serving communion in my brain. I was thinking, they don't deserve communion. They're not repentant. I know that they're in this kind of sin and in that kind of sin. I know that this is, this is going through my mind. And in that moment, the Holy Spirit flooded and convicted me. And I saw, maybe for the first time, like holding the communion juice, I realized, that, I mean, he just like exposed to me my own sin and my own brokenness and how he's bore with me and like kept with me and is like growing me up into maturity and faith. And that none of those things are a result of my own effort or doing, but are a result of cooperation or submission to the Spirit's work uh, in me. And so as we come up and take communion, I really just like, let's celebrate. If you're a believer, come and celebrate the, the, the position that we have before God because of what he's done for us in Christ. Let's turn and let's become like children coming and receiving the body and the blood of Christ. If you're a believer, come, we ask you to, uh, you know, you can come up this middle aisle and you, you tear off the bread, you dip it in the wine, you dip it in the juice. 
Uh, and by doing so, you, you're making the statement, you're proclaiming that you have turned and become this little one who is following after Jesus and that you believe who Jesus is and what he's done. Uh, if you're not a Christian, we ask you to stay where you are uh, just because we don't want you to get up and uh, be forced to say something that you, you don't really uh, believe. Uh, as uh, we're taking communion, uh, the, the band is going to come up and lead us uh, in worship, and this is also a time uh, that we have to also give uh, tithes uh, and offerings, which is another form uh, of worship. Um, so response time, we'll have time of communion, worship through song, and worship through uh, giving. So if you guys will, uh, let's seek after the Lord, ask him to do a work in our hearts, um, and let's, let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your truth. I thank you that you've redefined greatness. You've demonstrated greatness. Uh, you've called us uh, to a different way of living, but you hadn't just called us to that. You, you've actually demonstrated that, and you've led the way in that, and you've uh, made a way uh, to deal with even our failings in that. Uh, and we just come to you and ask that you would just open our minds and our hearts to see uh, where we're not walking according to uh, the truth of who you are, uh, not walking according to the truth of the gospel and where, we're, uh, where we really uh, need your spirit to do some, uh, some heart work in us, uh, that we would really believe the gospel and walk accordingly. Uh, Jesus, I thank you for uh, your presence among us. I thank you for the beautiful picture of uh, communion. And just uh, thank you uh, for your work and your presence. In Jesus' name, amen.